festival. And that was the last scene, apparently, from Frozen 2 uh, at the end of the credits. There was still something to learn, even though the main feature had finished. That's a little bit like what we're about to hear uh, in a minute. We got to the end, really, of Romans, uh, at Romans chapter 15, verse 13, that Nick McQuaker was speaking about uh, a week or so ago. And that was the end of the formal teaching in the, in the way. And it felt like that. And yet, Paul has still got things to speak to us. So what Philip's going to read to us now, uh, the style is a little bit different. Uh, it, it's, it's changed tone a bit. We're into the credits but it's still God's inspired word speaking to us through Philip, wherever he is. If you'd like to take the uh, maroon-coloured Bibles from the back of the seats and turn to page 1142, that's 1142. We're reading reading from uh, Romans chapter 15, (coughs) starting at verse 14, and in our Bibles it's headed, Paul the minister to the Gentiles. Romans chapter 15, reading from verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet I've written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister to Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So, from Jerusalem all the way round to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. Let's just pray, shall we, before we start? Holy Spirit, help us now to understand what you are saying to us through this passage this morning. May my words and may all our minds be clear and open to you. Amen. Well, let's dive uh, straight into, uh, whoops, there we are again, not that one. Romans uh, 15, uh, we're on page 11. Four two of the Bibles, if you've got those handy. And I want to start straight away focusing on verse 16. Verse 16, Paul says he has the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. There's quite a lot in that, isn't there? The priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles, which is probably everybody in this room, might become an acceptable offering to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to start with that verse because it annoyed me. When I was reading through the passage, that just irritated me. And I looked at it and thought, what is it that's irritating me? 
And it's Paul saying that I am his offering to God. I thought, what a cheek. I never met Paul. How can he say I am his offering to God? Why not anybody's offering to anybody? Thank you very much. And I thought, probably the Romans might have felt the same. I don't know. Anyway, seems to me that when a verse hits you like that, when it bugs you, take that as the Holy Spirit's prompting, that you need to look a bit more closely at it. So, that's what I did. And I wanted to think, in what way, how can Paul describe you and me, because that's who he's talking about, as an offering acceptable to God? Because, to be honest, the phrase sort of reminded me of this of when our cat comes in and presents a mouse to us. And he sort of comes in with that expression on his face of, look what I've caught for you. Verse 17, Paul talks about his service to God. So Paul is saying in some ways, look, this is what I've done for God. These Gentiles, you and me, we've been brought to God through Paul's word. That's what I deliver to God. They are my offering. A bit like a Marmite delivering me this mouse. There we are. Well, there is a little bit of truth in that. But there's more to it, isn't there? In the Bible, as I looked at this, offerings, offerings are always to do with reconciliation. They're always to do with being put right with God. So this word offering that Paul's using here in verse 16, it's a reminder that if we believe in the gospel of Christ, the gospel of God, if we believe that, when, that we can put our trust in Jesus, we can say sorry to God, then we are reconciled back to him. We are accepted by him. So that's the bit that we're going to focus on now. And it's not, I don't think, so obvious in our translations that that's what Paul is actually talking about. It loses a little bit uh, in, in our modern versions. Um, but actually, if we look at this verse and the words around it, Paul seems to be deliberately using language that sort of harks back to the Old Testament. So, for instance, you'll see in verse 16, he calls himself a minister. And he talks about having a priestly duty, doesn't he? He uses a word proclaiming that in the original has, a, has a, a, another sort of meaning, a, a nuance of sacrifice. Sacrificing, proclaiming, sort of went together. And then, as we said, he talks us uh, about being offerings, offerings that have been sanctified, been made holy. So there's a whole lot of language there that's conjuring up a picture of the priests in the temple making these offerings. Now, the Old Testament scholars here will know about these offerings, but I had to uh, remind myself about them all. They're all set out in Leviticus. Uh, in the book of the law, way back in the Old Testament, and there were these five major offerings that the priests would bring 
in the temple. There was the burnt offering, the peace offering, the grain offerings, the sin offering and, and the guilt offerings. And there were lots of rules and regulations about how those offerings were supposed to be made. But the interesting thing about those offerings is they were all trying to do the same thing. They weren't sort of designed to get to God to do certain things. They were all designed to heal a broken relationship. They were all about saying sorry to God. They were all about re-establishing relationships, about reconciliation, about recommitment, about being grateful. And that seems to be the whole point of Paul's phrase here. That's what he's alluding to. We are reconciled to God. And we didn't used to be. That's what chapter 1 was dealing with. In Romans, Paul there, he describes the state of anyone who's not a Christian. Uh, People who do not think about God, he talks about. Or people who, if they do think about God, just ignore him. He talks about people who just do what they want. Because they think that's how life works. Uh, And in fact, they encourage other people simply to do what they want. Maybe that's how you think. Maybe that is your position today. It will certainly be true of most people uh, you meet this week. And for those who treat God like this, Paul says, back in chapter 2, beginning of Romans, chapter 2, verse 10, he says, for folk who think like that, there is only wrath and fury and separation from God. That's one choice. But, when we accept that we've got it wrong, when we ask forgiveness in Jesus' name, well, that's when we are reconciled. Just look at, uh, look at verse 20, verses 20 and 21. He describes there what a Christian is, someone who has seen and understood the gospel of Christ, accepting the good news that trust in Jesus puts us, puts us right with God. That's being reconciled. And until that moment, we're a little bit like Harry, aren't we? Harry can't live as a member of the royal household now. He might be, be able to go on an executive jet, courtesy of J.P. Morgan or Morgan Stanley or whatever, but he's not a member of the royal household any longer, is he? He's walked away from his royal family. Life will carry on for him and Meghan, but actually... It's not the life he was born into. And reconciliation is needed. That's our situation. We need to say sorry. We need to come home to fulfilled lives and eternal life. So, that is why Paul describes us as offerings. Because they, offerings involve re-establishing broken relationships. It's what has happened to us when we turn to Jesus. We are accepted back into God's family. That's great news. But I do appreciate that this picture is not a great picture, for all sorts of reasons, especially if you're a mouse lover. But it's not a great picture because actually this particular offering is not acceptable to me. When Marmite the cat brings this mouse in, I am not delighted. I do not want a mangled and messy mouse delivered on my doormat. 
Now, I don't know how you feel sometimes, but I suspect most of us, very often, when we're thinking about our standing before God, feel more like this mangled and messy mouse uh, than we do, uh, than we should do. We wonder how come with all our faults and the messiness in our lives, how come that we are accepted by God? Well, the answer is there's that wonderful word. Can you see that at the end of verse 16 where he says we are sanctified? It's a strange word. We don't use it much, do we? But sanctified means we're made holy. That's just the same word as being a saint. We've been made saints. That is what happens when we put our trust in Jesus. We are made perfect. I didn't know that uh, Stephen was going to talk about brides, but I was going to talk about brides too. Ephesians 5 says that in God's eyes, we are like a radiant bride on her wedding day, perfect in every way. Um, I took this picture off, I didn't know it, off an Indian website that does bridal dress uh, and it describes this picture as the Christian wedding gown and I thought what a great phrase, that's exactly what it is the Christian wedding gown this is how God sees us because we are sanctified now, lots of stuff written about sanctification technical word, just two things to say that come out of this passage, first of all This has got nothing to do with how we feel. Tomorrow morning, when you're getting the kids to school, or you've got to get off to work early, and you're standing on Hove Station at 6.30, and the rain's coming down, and tempers are fraying, and we're getting fed up, and we're stuck in traffic, and we're late for appointments, and all that stuff, we're not going to feel very saintly. It doesn't make any difference. We are sanctified already. In God's eyes, we are already saints. It's the past tense that Paul uses. Being saintly doesn't depend on our good behaviour or anything else. We are already sanctified. So the great news is that you are now being spoken to by St. Donald. Now, actually, someone's got there before me. St. Donald was an 8th century saint uh, from Scotland, His only claim to fame appears to be that he had eight daughters. So, not quite clear why he's a saint, but there we are. Uh, That is apparently what he looked like. Very strange clothes, but never mind. That is St. Donald. Well, the good news is there is another one. That's me. Uh, You may not believe it, but I'm married to St. Judith. You may not believe it, but there we are. Uh, Here is St. Tim. Another St. Tim down here. There's a St. Sam there. We are all saints. When we put our trust in the Lord Jesus, we are all made perfect at that moment. But of course, that that moment tomorrow morning when you are getting really fed up with the trains running late, or you're late for your appointment, or whatever else is going wrong and tempers begin to fray, that's kind of a reminder, isn't it, that we may be saintly in God's eyes, but probably we're not saintly right now in this life. Here's a quote by Jonathan Edwards, who was a, a 17, uh, was it, 18th century um, theologian, uh, preacher in America. A transformation of nature is continued and carries on to the end of life until it is brought to perfection in glory. So this idea that we are saints, it's true in God's eyes, but down here we are still work in progress, aren't we? We all know that. God is still at work. 
in our lives. So look at verse 14. Paul writes to the Roman Christians that they are full of goodness and yet he knows they're not the finished article because he talks a little bit more about the process there as well because he says in it that we need knowledge and we need that knowledge so that we can instruct one another. And then in verse 15, Paul says he's reminding the Romans of things they already know. It's interesting, isn't it? It means Paul didn't actually write Romans. He's just telling them stuff that they've already been told in a way. He didn't create it. So we help each other. We instruct each other. We remind each other. And knowledge, knowledge doesn't mean just head knowledge. It isn't all about exams. The word Paul's using is much, much broader than that. It's a word that picks up this idea of of godly wisdom, of experience, of understanding. It's not just being able to recite stuff. I was sitting in a coffee shop yesterday uh, while others were watching the rugby perhaps and there was a a young lady next to me and uh, she was reading a book uh, called Having a Baby. Uh, and she was up to about page five, so she had rather a way to go. But I thought, interesting, isn't it? Having a baby, you can't really learn all about that just by reading a book somehow. Uh, somehow you have to go through the experience. And the gentleman among us who has sat with a group of ladies discussing having a baby will know what that's like. You're kind of excluded from that conversation. There's a limited amount that we can contribute. Uh, the ladies have gone through the experience, and of course it goes on for the rest of the life. It doesn't just stop there, does it? Well, that's a little bit like what we're talking about here, the sanctification. There's a process that starts and it carries on. And it's not just about uh, head knowledge, it's our deep personal experience. And that means as we listen to sermons, as we pray together, as we take time, perhaps waiting on God in silence, uh, We need to just allow space for sanctification, for sharing with each other, for learning. It's why it's good to spend longer sometimes saying the creed. At that point, we are being sanctified. We are reminding each other uh, of what we believe. And it may be that we need to allow more time in our lives for that. That may be a challenge, something just to think through. Are we allowing enough time? for actually God to work in our lives or do we clock in here, rush off again and the rest of the week is just full of busyness well that's something to think about so we are an offering we're an offering because we're reconciled to God through Jesus we're acceptable because we are radiant brides, we are sanctified we are saints and with that comes a little bit of responsibility there's a little bit of proclaiming to be done. Back in verse 16 again, look at that, Paul says he's a minister proclaiming the gospel. Verse 20, he says he was called to talk to people who'd never heard of Jesus. That's what he'd been doing for the last uh, 10 years and that's our job too. Now, we're probably not all, or probably none of us, are full-time evangelists but we still have a role to do here. We can't duck this. Look at verse 19. Paul says at the end of that, he has fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem to Illyricum. 
well, Illyricum, roughly Dubrovnik now. So all the way from Jerusalem to Dubrovnik, Paul's been on his travels and he says he's fully proclaimed the gospel. But of course, he's only covered a tiny fraction of the Mediterranean. He doesn't cover the whole world when he says he's fully proclaimed the gospel. And he's only spoken to a few people in each place. And only a few people have actually become Christians. But what he did was he left small groups behind him, didn't he? We know that. He left small churches. And he writes to them later, the Philippians, the Ephesians, the Colossians. He's encouraging them. But they are small groups left to carry on what he started. He didn't expect them just to sit in a holy huddle and disappear. They were there to carry on the work. So, that is what we do too. You look at verses 18 and 19, Paul talks about leading people to obey God by what he said and what he did through the power of the Spirit of God. So that is what we do. By what we do and by what we say, we rely on the Spirit of God and we point people to Jesus. And it's not easy. That's what we've just been hearing from Festive, isn't it? It is not easy in our day and age now to point people to Jesus. I was talking to our diversity manager uh, this week at work. Um, I'm not quite sure what a diversity manager does, but you can probably get the idea. He made two interesting comments to me, because we were talking about setting up uh, some sort of Christian network in the firm. He made two comments. Firstly, he said to me, he said, I do admire you. He said, it's much easier to come out as a gay person in the workplace than it is to come out as a Christian. And I thought, that's quite a statement. Easier to come out about your sexuality than it is to come out to say that you're a Christian. His next comment was that he was very worried I must be homophobic because I'm attached to the Church of England. So straight away, you're in a difficult position, aren't you? It's not easy telling people about the Lord Jesus. But what Phil said last week when he was standing here was actually, we are the people who make the church grow. It's down to us. Can't rely, can't leave it all to Phil and Tim. It's us who make the church grow. We're always relying on the Holy Spirit. There's always Christ working through us, but we are the ones who have to proclaim the gospel. So tomorrow morning, when you're feeling particularly grumpy, when you're really feeling fed up, well, we need to pray for the Holy Spirit's help, don't we? We need to pray for Christ to be working in us. And we need to proclaim the gospel. And it doesn't need to be that difficult. I was thinking about this sermon, thinking, mm, really, I want to do a bit of proclaiming if I'm going to stand up and talk about this. I really don't want to. So there I was, driving up the motorway to my office in Gatwick, and I thought, I'd better pray about this. Just give us an opportunity today. And within an hour, someone came up to me in the office and said, um, my son is doing something called the Alpha Program. And I've heard you mention that. What's it all about? Fantastic. Conversation about what the Alpha Course is all about. I was able to give her a book telling her about what the Alpha content is, telling her about the Lord Jesus, and said, let's have a chat about that when you've read it. Great. Not actually that difficult. 
the Holy Spirit will help us. I don't know where that conversation will go, but the gospel's been proclaimed just, just a little bit. So there we are. We're in the end credits, if you like, of Romans. And the credits are rolling. There's no particular surprises in these end credits. This is Paul reminding us of the gospel. He's reminding us that we can be reconciled with God through Jesus. He's reminding us that we are perfect in God's eyes uh, at that moment, even as the Holy Spirit continues to work in us. You know, we are designed to be accepted by God. That's how he made us. And if that's not you here today, if that's not your standing, then let's talk afterwards about that. If you are trusting in the Lord Jesus, if you've seen and understood the gospel, as Paul puts it here, then you still need to do some talking. We either talk to each other, we build each other up, we encourage, we instruct each other as we're sanctified, and then we carry on talking in the week as we carry on proclaiming. Let me just pray. Father, thank you so much for these great truths in this short passage. Thank you that we are accepted by you when we trust in you. Thank you that we are perfect in every way once we've turned to you. And just help us to be so full of that great news that we proclaim it to others. Amen.